Hey guys, welcome to the Fellowship Greenville Students Podcast. This week, we look at what James has to say about one of the tiniest parts of our body, the tongue. We are given insight on just how powerful our words are and that there is only one person who can help us use our words wisely. Follow along to see what James has to say. Guys, guess what book we are in today? Nice! You've been paying attention. Well done. That was not a trick question. It is. Uh, that's where we're going to be. We're going to be in James. Just so you guys know, for the next few weeks, uh, JJ Bunny is going to be teaching next week. So be ready. He better be ready, I think, is maybe really what we should be saying. So he'll be teaching next week. I, I know you guys are excited to hear from him. Uh, he'll he'll keep us in James. We'll, we'll have Thanksgiving break the following week, so we will not be up here. And then for the two weeks in December, we're going to do uh, some more Christmas messages. And then we will come back to James in January. So we'll take a break, um, Thanksgiving, and then the two weeks of December from the book of James, and then we'll come back and we'll finish it in January, and then we'll move on to, to something new. So that kind of gives you uh, something to uh, look forward to or something to know, and maybe some of you are like, man, I'm so done with the book of James. Well, now you know we'll be done in January. So you got a little bit longer with us, but hopefully it's been good. I think um, for some of you, I know I've heard from some of your parents and from some of you small group leaders about how it's been cool that the main service is going through the book of James. And so you guys can have a conversation around the dinner table or maybe in the car on the way home about what you're learning because you're kind of hearing from some of the same passages. In fact, I think we've been tracking right along with main service for the last few weeks. So um, this morning, we're going to be in James chapter three. If you want to go Go ahead and turn there. And as we do, uh, I've got brought this little Lego friend of mine here. How many of you guys are like you were into Legos when you were a kid or you, you've played with Legos growing up? Pretty much a lot of you. That's my follow-up question is now, how many of you are still into Legos right now as a middle schooler, maybe as an adult or a high schooler? Okay, quite quite a few of you. I think there are more in first service that were still into it. Um, Man, I I love Legos. I always have. I play with them a ton as a kid. And even growing up, um, as I got into middle and high school, I still, like, every now and then would buy uh, a set of Legos and just do because it was really fun and really cool. I mean, they have some insane Lego sets out there that are not only insane in the amount of pieces that they have, but now in the amount of money that they cost, okay? And if I'm being real, those are the ones that if I had said money, I might want to go after and get. There's, like, some $800 Star Wars sets that I would love to have and stuff. But... That's $800, and I have children that need to be fed probably with that $800. So, uh, but my kids now, so I don't get any Legos really for myself anymore. Uh, I I don't get them for myself at all anymore. Um, But we do get them for our children, and my son got this little guy uh, in, I guess there's a certain series where they're making little characters out of Legos that look like this, almost like, you know, they're kind of banking on what are those like pop uh, characters that they got, right? Lego, this is Lego's version of pop characters in my mind. And uh, he got Mandalorian, and then he also got Baby Yoda, so a little cool uh, double double set right there. And this this Mandalorian, I still can't quite figure it out. But for some reason, his like the bottom of his mask comes out, which is really interesting. And I, I, like I can't explain it. I understand if his helmet came off or something, but the bottom just slides out really easily right there. Uh, if if you've ever spent time playing with Legos, um, you know that every piece of the Lego. As I try to fit these pieces back in, I know I broke it. Oh no, my five-year-old's gonna be mad. Actually, it's kind of kind of funny. Um, last night he just was. Owen, my five-year-old, was obsessed with taking this little guy apart. And I'm talking like every piece is apart. And he would just then take all the pieces and put it back together without instructions or anything. Just do it from memorization. So of course, I now know that my child is smarter than every other five-year-old in the world. Uh, that's what it sometimes seems like as a parent when your kid does something. But Owen was, was taking these, these pieces apart 
And at some point, um, one side of his mouth just was completely gone. Like, not Owen just hadn't put it in yet, but just couldn't find it. And so it probably took about 15 or 20 minutes to find that piece. Here's what, what we know about Lego pieces, though, is that if you don't have every piece, it's a little bit like a puzzle, right? If you don't have every piece of the Lego set, then it's just not complete. And sometimes, even to the point where if you don't have every piece of some of the really extravagant sets of Lego, uh, like if it's a Ferris wheel or if it's something that moves or if it's like the Millennium Falcon and you're not able to open that thing up if you don't have this piece, if you don't have that one piece that holds like utmost importance to the set, then the whole thing might as well not exist. Because the Ferris wheel isn't going to spin, the Millennium Falcon's not going not gonna to open, or maybe you've got some sort of electronic Lego set and it's not going to go anywhere, it's not going to move at all because that one or maybe two little pieces are just gone, missing. And eventually, you know, Owen kind of pitched a fit and he probably shed a couple of tears over this piece, but eventually we found it and everything was well with the Lego set and with our home last night. And you guys know this is a principle that applies to much more than just Legos, that there are, are small, seemingly insignificant things. Like if you just laid all the Lego pieces out on the floor or out on the table and you looked at them, like none of them really seemed to, at first glance, have that much importance uh, on their own. But, but you do know that th- those small, insignificant things in life or small, insignificant Legos, they ultimately have a huge impact. And again, it's not just with Legos. I mean, you can apply it to other games. You could apply it to puzzles. If you've ever been missing one puzzle piece, or maybe the dog got a hold of that piece, right? Or it's under the table, or it's under your bed, and you can't find it. You know the puzzle just isn't complete until that one single piece is found. Or maybe you've played a game, some sort of board game, where it's like you need all the figures or all the pieces in the game, and the one piece, maybe it's your favorite piece, is gone, and it just feels like, we need to buy a whole new set, because this thing just isn't cutting it anymore. You know what I mean? There's, there's things in life that are, are that way too, though. Just one seemingly insignificant thing can, can make or break uh, an entire thing. Maybe it's your wardrobe. Have you ever experienced when you have just one little stain on your shirt and maybe you didn't notice it, but then you're out and about and you see it in the mirror in the bathroom and you're like, what in the world, right? And now your whole outfit is ruined. You might as well go home and change and burn the clothes that you are currently wearing because of that one little stain. You may have experienced this. But it's not just in silly things or even tiny things in life. I mean, maybe one last example that isn't so silly or tiny. Ultimately, maybe even just the simple act of brushing your teeth. It's a small, seemingly insignificant thing that we do every day. But number one, it adds up over time, right? If you brush your teeth regularly, the idea is that you would have healthy teeth, beautiful, gleaming white teeth, that the, the dentist wouldn't have to, like, it seems like, I don't know that they fill holes, because it oftentimes seems like they're making holes in my mouth, but, uh, but they wouldn't have to do all that work in your mouth if your teeth uh, were what they were supposed to be, and if you were taking care of them, maybe, like you should. But then number two of brushing your teeth is, if somebody beside you, let's just say, not to point any fingers, but if somebody beside you didn't brush their teeth that morning or that day, you notice it pretty quickly. It's a small thing, small part of your routine to brush your teeth every single day, preferably in the morning before you see and smell next to the rest of us, right? But, but a seemingly small thing really makes a big difference between somebody having good breath and bad breath, you wanting to be their friend and not be their friend. Just as an example, okay? But there's much more serious things, and one of those is actually what James is getting at this morning, and it's... This small thing, it's actually a small member or part of our body. It's our tongues. And the words 
that come from our tongues, that come from our mouths, that come from our lips. James is going to help us see this morning how many times our words, as small as they may seem, as insignificant as it might even sound, or if you were to be listening to yourself, you might say, well, that's not a big deal. But our words are actually far more powerful than we realize. They're way more impactful, way more significant, even though on the front end, they look pretty small. So let's look at that this morning. And this, this may be a message, by the way, that I know last week we were in one of the most hotly debated uh, passages in all of Scripture. The last 2,000 years, this has been something that people have gone back and forth on. What does James mean when he says that faith without works is dead? If you want to find out, you can go back and listen to that message. And, and hopefully that was an impactful message for how you approached your week this past week. But this one may be even more so because all of us uh, speak, all of us use our words, and I think a lot of us probably use our words with less concern or realization that they're as powerful as they are. Um, so let's, let's see what James has to say. Verse 1 of chapter 3, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Let's pause right here on this first one. James is speaking specifically to teachers of the Scripture, teachers of today what we call our Bible. These are people who are teaching on the Word of God. And remember, that James, it's, it's a book. We call it a book, or maybe you think of it as like a, a chapter in the Bible. Really, we, we say that the Bible is a collection of books, and this specific book of the Bible is a letter. So it's a letter written by James to a specific group of people, these Jewish Christians. Remember, we've talked about them the last few weeks. And so he's, he's not writing like, hey, let me send a bunch of random stuff to this group of people. But he's writing things that he feels like they specifically need to hear. So it seems like James is, is writing about teachers because teachers in the group of people that he was writing to didn't quite understand the full power and weight of teaching the word of God. James says it's, it's basically, you could kind of reword it and make it a little Spider-Man saying, right? To, to the person who has much power, with great power comes great responsibility, right? With great power comes great responsibility. Does anybody remember that from Spider-Man? I don't know. Is it in the newer ones? They need to be saying that in the newer ones. But in, in Spider-Man, the first one with Tobey Maguire, uh, that's, that's where it is. It's in, it's in the first, one of the new Spider-Mans. It's an important phrase. Okay. Uncle Ben says it to Peter Parker right before passing away. Spoiler alert. Uncle Ben dies. Um, and, and, but that's, that's a huge phrase, right? With great, sorry, JJ. With great power comes great responsibility. That's not actually a Spider-Man saying. You can actually find that, I believe, in Luke 14 where, where Jesus says it. Hey, to whom much is given, much is expected. And that's what James is saying here. He's saying, hey, if you are a teacher of God's word, or if you intend to be a teacher of God's word, that you've been given a lot of power and a lot of authority, and there ought to be a weightiness. There's, there's a good, healthy kind of stress and, 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 and weight to teaching and presenting the word of God. And James is trying to help them see, hey, not only is that weight real, but it's also real that God's going to ha- hold you to a different kind of accountability when it comes to teaching the Word of God. Because you've got maybe some, some insight or, or some perspective, or you've got a calling that other people don't. And when it comes to teaching the Word of God, it is such a big deal. James takes a second to make a statement specifically towards those who teach. Hey, be careful. Wield this power well. With it comes great responsibility. Just out of curiosity, how many of you think that, hey, maybe I, I might want to teach God's word at some point? Anybody? 
Maybe you want to be a pastor or you want to be like a Bible teacher. Nice. There's maybe a couple hands in here. There are a few in, uh, in uh, oh, nice. I like that, James. I'll tell, I'll tell your dad that you did that when it comes to teaching. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, but but there's, there's a weightiness. So know ahead of time, if you feel like God's calling you to teach his word, know that there's a weightiness. So you should, you should prep well. You should actually know what you're going to say. You should maybe make an outline. You should know, know some scripture. Like there's a, there's a weightiness. You should be on your knees prayerfully considering, hey, God, what is it that you want to speak? Not so much what do I want to speak to the people that I'm presenting to. There's a weightiness to it, and so it's healthy to feel that, and James is helping uh, people see, hey, so, so you ought to consider that. Uh, another question around teaching. This is not specifically teaching the Bible and really doesn't have anything to do with anything, but I'm curious, how many of you would like to be just teachers one day? Like you would like to be a teacher. This is also really interesting, okay? Because culturally, when I was in school, it would have been like, Probably like half, especially of you ladies who would want to teach. That's a very interesting uh, cultural note. And you guys in some ways represent our culture that we're in, right? Uh, so just, just some interesting thing to chew on. Uh, okay, so verse 2. Let's keep going to what James says. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. So James has just been speaking to specifically about teachers of God's word. Now he's kind of transitioning to talk to all of us. Hey, we all stumble. We all make mistakes. Remember in chapter one, that's part of what James is saying, helping us understand, hey, none of us are perfect. We all are going to fall short. We all are going to make mistakes. And then he says, hey, and if you don't, and he's kind of poking at like we all do, but if you don't, then you must be a perfect person able fully to control your body, to control your mind at all times, to bridle your body is the word that's used, like to have full control and grasp on everything you do, think, and say. And James is saying that's kind of impossible. Like if you're still a man or woman in your flesh, unless you have died and gone to be in eternity with God forever, you, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to stumble. You're going to say things you regret. And James kind of gives us a picture of what that looks like, the effects of it, and what we should do with that here in the next few verses. We do make mistakes. We will make mistakes with our words. James says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. They're there. They are so large and are driven by strong winds. They are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. This is where James is specifically using that language about the tongue. And here's what he's trying to help us see. Hey, that your tongue, as small and insignificant as it may seem, your mouth, your words, really he's not talking about like your physical tongue, okay? But he's talking about the words that come from it. As small and insignificant as they may seem, they can have huge impact. And huge impact, the, the front end of what James is talking about, is, is huge impact for the better. They can be a part of really great, awesome things. And he gives some examples. And he says, hey, you know the bit that you put in the mouth of a horse? Does anybody know what that looks like? Yes, because it's now on the screen. It's, it, it's these, these metal parts that you stick in the mouth of the horse, and then the two hoops come out on the side of the horse's head. So you can kind of see this right here, and you put the reins through that, and now this small piece, I mean, big enough to fit in, in the mouth of a horse and come out on both sides, but has anybody ever, like, stood next to a horse before? Hor horses, horsei, are massive animals, okay? Listen, horses, horses sounds like a weird plural. Horsei, 
doesn't sound any better, but let's just, let's just roll. Okay, that's why I said both. It's please both people in this room. There's two kinds of people, horses people and horse high. Um, so, but a horse is a massive animal. If you've ever stood next to a full-grown horse, they are way bigger than any picture or video quite does justice. And yet, with this little piece called the bit, you stick it in its mouth, you put some reins through, uh, through this bit, and now you can control this massive animal and get to determine where it goes and, if you're the one riding it, where you go, right? It's crazy, but this, this small, maybe seemingly, if somebody just saw that laying in a barn and didn't know what that was, they're like, oh, that's... That's a cool piece to a much bigger thing probably, and maybe the big thing actually has an effect. No, like that small piece does a whole lot of work. The other thing that James mentions is not just a a bit for the mouth of a horse, but a rudder for a ship, which looks like this, which in this picture looks really, really big, right? But show, again, seemingly insignificant, show the bigger size of the boat and that rudder. Now, we can't see the full thing because a lot of it's underneath, but comparatively, the rudder of a ship is way, 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 way smaller than the rest of the ship. And yet, this rudder, the pilot of of the rudder, or the the pilot of the ship, rather, gets to decide, hey, turn the rudder this way, turn it that way, and ultimately, this rudder is directing and guiding at the will of the pilot which way, which direction this massive, typically way larger than the rudder ship takes. And James is trying to help us see that just like these small things have a major impact, so does your tongue. And the first thing that you pr- probably have caught on to at this point is that your, your tongue, again, seemingly insignificant, has the ability to bless and encourage and, and push on and lift up the people around you. In fact, if we were to go around the room today, I bet that there are things that people have said in your life, positive things that have stuck with you and propelled you towards the things that you want to do right now. Maybe some of you lifted your hand. You want to teach the Bible or you want to teach a period because somebody has spoken into your life and said, hey, man, you have so much knowledge and insight about this. I bet you would be really good at teaching it. Or maybe it's a subject in school. It's one of your favorite teachers. And he or she said to you at some point, hey, you, you could explain this to the class. You might as well be teaching the class. And they were, you know, sort of joking, but also saying like, you could do this so well and you may be gifted to do it, in fact. Or maybe it's your athleticism. Or maybe it's your humor. Or maybe it's just your identity as a believer. But somebody has taken some time to speak words of life and encouragement to push you on towards great things. Maybe somebody's used their words to help you in a hard time, like you were going through a hard season. And you just needed somebody who might speak into you and be willing to listen and offer some advice or encouragement. And that person was put there at the right time. And you will never forget what they said. That gave you just enough to make it through that hard experience. Words are incredibly powerful. They can be used for great things. I think another thing that James is trying to help us see here is notice the bit is used to help direct the horse, lead and guide the horse. The rudder is used to help set the course and direction of the boat. And I think James wants us to see that in some way, shape, or form, our tongue is actually a part of guiding and directing our lives. That may sound really major, but I don't think it's a mistake that the two examples that James uses are about direction. And then he says, and the tongue, I think it's also part of direction. Think, think about it, just really like simple uh, that I think we all can, can, uh, can understand is our friend group or our group of friends or our best friend. Do you think 
that if you went into that friend group or you had your next conversation with that friend and all you were spitting was just gossip and rumors and mean things about them and mean things about their family, do you think that that person really wants to be your friend anymore or does your direction in your friendships automatically change? Now, I might give you some grace if they're real good friends, like, oh, maybe they really did fall out of bed this morning, right? But, but like eventually, if that's all you keep spewing, your friendships are going to change. I mean, how'd you get in those friendships to begin with? Probably by being kind and loving and talking about things that you have in common. Like your tongue has in some way, shape, or form, your words has placed you in the friend groups that you're now a part of. And as you guys go through school, your, your tongue, the words you use, is shaping your relationship with your teachers and with other students. One day when you get to, to work, your tongue is going to shape how your, your boss looks at you and whether they put you in certain positions or not. It's going to affect who you marry one day. It affects your life in so many ways when it comes to setting the direction of your life. Your words are incredibly powerful. I think James wants us to see that in here too. And then he gets ultimately to the side that maybe you're surprised we haven't talked about yet, which is the negative side of our words. James says in the rest of verse 5 here, says how great a forest is set ablaze by, su- uh, by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course. We just talked about direction. The entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Very harsh words there. Our tongue can be used for great things, can be used to set a positive course for our life and our relationships, but it can also be used for terrible things. I think we've all heard stories, if you've paid any attention to the news uh, over the last several years, about forest fires. And there's not so many that are super close to home for us, but we still hear about them. And a lot of times when they track it down, it started by just one flame, just one fire pit, maybe just one match. A lot of times they're set off by accident. Just people having fun, camping out, but maybe they didn't realize it was actually too dry and you should have heeded the warnings of the rangers and not put a fire in that fire pit. But through one thing or another, one small spark that turns into a flame, that turns into a fire to be enjoyed, then becomes a fire that destroys. You guys know it doesn't just end with trees, but that many forest fires actually take out people's homes, take out people's businesses, take people's lives. And James is trying to help us see that our words are no different. When I said earlier that we could go around the room and ask about things that people have said to you that you hold on to, and then I kind of said that, that are encouraging good things, some of you likely, when I said things that people said to you, you may have automatically gone to the negative things. Because just as much as there's people who have spoken kind things into our lives and we're holding on to them, there's also been some really terrible things that have been said to us, intentionally or unintentionally, that we hold on to as well. I mean, there's some of you in this room, and I know this to be true because I I talk with you, and I've been in student ministry for a few years now, and I know there's things that somebody told you about the way you look, 
that you didn't even think about before. And then they said it, and now every time you look in the mirror, you can't not think about it. And it's something about maybe how big or small or tall or short or the, the way that you look, the way that, that God's designed you that now you're not comfortable with and you're actually kind of upset with. All because one person said something negative to you. There's other things that maybe people have said about your, about your families or about how good or bad you are at something. Or th- th- there's, there's things that stick with you. I can think of one thing, and not, not just one thing. I can think of a lot of things in my life that have been said to me that just stick with me. I'm like, why? Man, I wish they never would have said that. And one of those things, and it was not said in malice. Like, it was not said um, with, with ill intent. But my second grade teacher... When I was in second grade, I was a kid who was like always raising their hand, always wanted to provide answers, always had a question, man. Like that was me. And my second grade teacher, again, she was doing this in love. She was actually trying to help other students get a chance. And Dallas, it's probably important for you to listen to what other students are asking and not like hog all that time. Um, I think she was saying it really kindly, but she pulled me and my parents together in one of those like student parent meeting kind of things and said, "Um, Dallas, if you could just not raise your hand so much anymore. And she followed it up by saying something like, so that other kids would have a chance. But man, I do think that, that, that in some ways that tampered my curiosity. That tampered my, like, well, maybe I'm just not going to raise it at all. Because that kind of feels like what she's asking me to do right now. And even something like that, where the intention was not terrible, but the consequences, the fire that that set in my life and in my mind was something that all of a sudden is out of control. And again, if we were to go throughout the whole room, we all would have things that have stuck with us in that way and that are bringing us down right now. The point that James is trying to help us see is that our words, not just the things that have been said to us, but also the things that we say to other people are, in fact, that powerful. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me is not not true. In fact, bones heal. Oftentimes, wounds by words take years and years and years and years to finally forget, to finally move on from. Our words are way more powerful than any sort of physical harm. I mean, I guess you could kill somebody, but our words are powerful. There's, you know, maybe you're like, okay, well, that's what the Bible says. (laughs) Hopefully you're starting to see, like, no, that's part of what you've experienced But there's also study after study after study that shows the impact of our words. In fact, that's something that our culture seems to be obsessed about. The words we can use and when we can use them and when we can't use them and what's politically correct and what's not. But one of the ways that maybe it's been helpful is is helping us see, hey, actually in studies it shows us the power of positive versus negative words. And most people seem to agree that for every one negative word, in order to outweigh it, kind of conquer it, kind of defeat it, that you need six positive words spoken to you. So for every negative thing that I might say to you, in order to drown that out and get rid of it and hopefully forget it and move on, you actually need to speak six positive words or words of encouragement, words of blessing to somebody. I mean, that that shows that not just are our words powerful, but especially our negative words are incredibly powerful. So be wise with the words that you use. James says it this way. We already read it, but that 
Mankind has tamed every animal. I was listening to a podcast just yesterday where the guy's talking about taming a wolf. And I'm like, dude, why, why, why do we need to do this, right? Quit, don't mess with these things. But we have the ability to, and many people have tamed wolves and tigers and all these crazy things. But James says, no man can tame the tongue. It's so powerful. It's so out of control at times. Remember he described it on the negative side as evil and unrighteous and poisonous. No man can tame the tongue. Why does James say that? That kind of seems to leave us hopeless. Well, if I can't tame the tongue, then who can? The Lord. Like, God can tame our tongues. He has power and authority over the words that we speak. The Holy Spirit can give us words of blessing instead of words of cursing. So how is it that you use your words? Is it for blessing or is it for curse? James goes on to finish this section And then I'll give some application and we'll be done. He says in verse 9, With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be. Does a spring pour forth uh, from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. James finishes by saying, hey, If you are a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you are one of the brothers and sisters that I'm writing to or that now we're reading this 2,000 years later, if that is you, then here's the deal for the believer, that you out of your mouth can't come blessing and curse. Yet we know it does. But the way of the believer is that your mouth would be full of blessing, that from the spring of your mouth it would pour forth Water that is encouraging, uplifting, kind, loving, that those would be the thing coming from the mouth of the believer. And how do we get there? I think the underlying message that James is trying to help us see is that man can't tame it. You can't do it on your own. So go to the Father for it. That's how you become a person who in your language isn't bringing others down and setting fires in their lives and yours, but is lifting people up offering some guidance and direction and encouragement and praise. So, I'll ask the question again, how do you use your words? Is it for good or for ill? Are there people in your life that actually, as you think about it, because of how you've used your words, you might need to use your words in this way the next time you see them. Hey, will you forgive me for whatever it is that you said to them? Some of us need to use our words to offer forgiveness. Some of us need to take a page out of James's book. Remember in, in James, the first couple of chapters, he talks about, hey, be slow to speak and quick to listen. Some of us might need to be a little tongue-tied for a little bit and not say so much so that the Lord can actually help us understand, hey, this is what it looks like to communicate kindly and lovingly. Some of us, and this is maybe a little outside of what James is talking about, but I, I don't think it's too far from it. Some of us need to consider not just the words that we use to other people, but the words that we speak to ourselves. One of the biggest places and challenges where you're, you're finding that things are burning up and burning down is in your own mind. It's not just the things you say out loud with your tongue, but it's the things that you say kind of with the tongue of the mind. What does it look like to go to the Lord, be reminded of what's true about you, and speak those things over yourself instead of, speaking the lies of the enemy or the things that you've picked up from our culture. 
All of these things. There's endless application when it comes to the words we speak to others, to ourselves, the way that we deal with words that come to us. But I think James wants us to understand that words are powerful. And so if we want to speak well, go to the well of life and good words. That is the Lord. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for James's words. Thank you for the example of your son, Jesus, who always used his words well. May we follow in his footsteps. May we heed the words of James this morning. Would you help us even this week to see just how powerful our words are and to not try to handle it or or tame those things on our own, but to go to you to make that happen. May our words as we leave today, as we are in small groups together, be blessing and not cursing. May we follow you even in that way right now. We love you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.